Amen. Check this out. She was born blind in 1534, along with her twin brother, Roger, to a family whose father was a barber and a rope maker. And uh, even though she was born with these limited abilities, by the age of 12, she had already learned how to knit herself and even make rope to help contribute to the family's needs. And it was a good time, at least for now, to be alive in England, uh, because this little girl lived under the godly king, King Edward VI, who was also known as the English Josiah because of his character and support of the Protestant church. And it was here that he declared that all the people of England would have their church services conducted and read in their own language, English, instead of Latin. Go figure, that's the point you want to learn, right? Okay, but so this little girl was one of the first fruits of that decision. In fact, one day she was moved by the Holy Spirit of God to hear a Bible reading in English, okay, and upon hearing it, she received Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. But soon she wanted more. She couldn't get enough. In fact, she wanted her own Bible, even though she was blind. And her plan, listen, true story, was to get others to read it to her, okay, but first she had to buy one, which was not easy because books were expensive, and hello, she's poor and blind back in that day. But she didn't give up. She found work, she saved hard, and eventually she managed to afford, listen, how hungry she is for the Bible. She managed to at least get a New Testament. But now she just, she's blind, right? She has, now she's got to find somebody to read it to her. Unfortunately, she began asking all around to no avail, but finally, one man, an elderly man named John, said he would read it to her, the New Testament, every day. And this went on and on until John became too ill to hear, uh, to, to read it to her anymore. And so she didn't want to give up. So listen to this. This girl actually offered people money. She offered them a penny, which doesn't sound like much, but that was a day's wages back then, just to read her a few chapters. And soon this girl was not only able to recite long passages of scripture purely from memory, but she could easily refute all the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And she encouraged everyone she could meet to follow the word of God alone. So what was her reward for this? That's right, Bloody Mary, who just took King Edward's place when he died, condemned this young woman, now only 22 years old, to die. And soon she was brought before her Catholic accusers and charged to give an account for her actions, which she declared in a way similar to Martin Luther, as we saw before. She believed only the things taught in the Holy Bible and only by godly men, Bible-believing men. And then she reminded her hearers that a number of sincere Christians had already been imprisoned and burned to death by the Catholic Church for believing the same thing she did, rather than embrace the false teachings of Rome. And so she challenged him, are you prepared to die for your doctrine? Then if not, then trouble me no more. I am but a poor, blind, uneducated woman, but with the help of God, I am ready to yield this life up for him. And so off to the execution she went. Holding her brother's hand, she prepared herself, cried upon Jesus to have mercy on her soul. And soon the Catholic bishops proceeded, listen to this, true story, proceeded to hang her over a fire with a rope, literally roasting her alive until the fire burned through the rope and she fell into the flames. Listen, just one, just one of 56 women murdered by Bloody Mary just by believing in the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And rather than suffering for all eternity that the Catholic church said was going to happen as soon as she died, she was actually ushered into the presence of Jesus Christ himself, who then became, listen, the very first person she ever got to see with her new eyes. Her name, of course, was Joan Waste. Okay? 
that is not a waste of a Christian life. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's cool, man. Isn't that a way to go, right, as a Christian? That is a life worth living for, okay, if I ever saw one, okay? But once again, folks, we got a problem. As we've been seeing our study, even though God's the same God, right, we're just as much his children as Joan Waste is, right? Hello? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we're honest, most of us as Christians here in America, what are we doing? We're reading the Bible in one hand, we're taking a look at our life in the other, and we're going, what's going on, man? It's not computing. There's a disconnect. How come it's like that here, and it's what? What's going on? How come these people like Joan Waste get to have this amazing, even with all of her limited abilities, if anybody had an excuse not to do something for Jesus? But here she was. You, how come she gets to have this amazing life? I don't have this life worth living for. I got a life for a given up. Folks, that's the bad news. That's the sad news. But here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way, okay? That kind of life worth living for is available to every single Christian once again to, that's right, drill into your heads. Because you know what? Repetition increases remembrance, probably. I'll say that again. Repetition increases remembrance. What's that? What did you say, Mark? That's right. Repetition increases remembrance. So let's do it again. Turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you. Okay? You can have that life. And that's why we're going to continue our study, a life worth living for. And again, what we're doing is taking a look at the different keys I believe scripturally are pivotal. If we're going to have, it's available, but if we're going to have that amazing walk with Jesus Christ like Joan Waste had. Now, we saw the first six times that first key to having a life worth living for is when you and I experience God's joy. Why? Because there is nothing like a joyful, truly joyful Christian in the midst of a joyless world it's like a moth to a flame. It leads people to him. Where can I get that, man? Okay. Then we saw we back it up with a, a two-bang punch, if you will. The last nine times is when you and I also experience God's peace. Okay. God's amazing peace. He's not only given us his joy. He's given us his peace as well. Okay. And it's awesome so that you and I, no matter what goes on in this world, no matter how crazy, wicked, chaotic it gets, we're full of, hey, arene, God's peace, right? It's a powerful witness, man, to joy, peace at the same time, wherever we go, no matter what happens i mean people are just like whoa it's a profound witness especially in these last days and the enemy knows this as we've been seeing so he tricks us into short-circuiting the peace and the joy that god's already given to us now last time we saw the fifth way he does that is by getting us to have a misplaced behavior okay and there we saw it all starts to culminate okay it's bad enough that satan yes satan demons get us to think like him get us to live like him with this selfish self-centered attitude life's all about me myself and i the unholy trinity and we say it's like him because what caused the fall of satan isaiah 14 ezekiel 28 i i i i will send i that's where that attitude came from okay so he not only gets us to think like him and live like him but the next thing you know you don't shut that off you start to behave like him and you cause destruction wherever you go, Christian, instead of peace. The Bible says we're supposed to be peacemakers, not just experience God's peace once in a blue moon, right? We're supposed to ooze his peace, and wherever we go, we cause peace. We're supposed to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And last time we saw the first way he gets us to do that is by getting us that first step is to have a negative mind. A negative mind right? And once you get that negative mind, that's all you can see. It blinds you from all the positive because there's always something to say hallelujah to God about, isn't there? Right? There's always something. If you have a positive mind, you could say that uh, to God, okay? But if you get that negative mind, then it blinds you from all the hallelujahs out there. It's all you can see is negative. And the next thing you know, you start causing destruction with your negative mind wherever you go. But that's just the first step. Okay, uh, the second way he gets us to have a misplaced behavior is he, if we, you don't shut that mind thing off, that negative one, you're going straight to here. You're going to have a negative mouth. 
Now, as you guys can see, those guys were clearly at KFC right before they took his picture. You know, that's obviously what's going on. You know it's true. Let's close in prayer. No, let's move on. I got a lot to cover. Uh, but no, you get a negative mouth, right? And I'm not talking halitosis or chicken tosis, whatever you want to call it. Okay. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a negative mouth, okay? And here's how it goes. I don't know if you paid attention to this, but it's a step by step plan. The enemy, the scripture says, we are not un. Uh, just, off my notes, uh, the, the scripture says the enemy, uh, we are not to be ignorant of his schemes or devices. It's like schematic. It means he's got this plan. It's like a circuitry board. This goes here and it goes here. And if this goes this, then that touches this and charges that. That's what he does. He step-by-step step gets us to his ultimate goal. And it's not by chance he gets us in the negative mind, but that's not the end game result. He wants you to get this negative mouth. Okay. He wants us to get us to have this negative mouth. Apparently it's too easy to rejoice in God, look for the positive, And as we saw last time, Flick that old you off the shoulder that's not you anymore. Give it a funeral. But here's what happens. If you don't turn that negative mind off, folks, it is going to go to the next thing. And that is a negative mouth. Okay. And the reason why is because Satan knows the scripture. Jesus tells us an amazing biblical rule. Okay. It really tells you what's really going on. See, we're really good at masking things. But you can always tell what's in somebody's heart by what? comes out of your mouth because what did jesus say luke 6 is just one of them don't have time to get into it out of the abundance of the heart what's eventually going to come out words the mouth is going to reveal what's really going in there in other words what you store in your brain every day you can sit there and hide it you can try to suppress it but you squeeze your heart enough like a sponge <laughs> out's coming out right you make the mistake like Bobby last night. He thinks he's all funny, right? I'm making chicken. Pastor Bill, I'm going to make chicken, chicken, chicken. Right? And so he gets the chicken juice on the counter, right? Now, it's kind of this weird, funky, fluid stuff. It's kind of like see-through gross, you know, right? And so, but you know, whatever, you get it up with the sponge, whatever. And then I could come by for a visit and say, oh, he can't see that. He can't see that. What do you got to do? All you got to do is squeeze the sponge, and here comes that evil, right? See, my see. Yeah, you didn't think that webcam installed is profitable, but it is. <laughs> but no, no, seriously, right? Eventually, it's coming out. What you soak up like a sponge in your brain, you could hide it. You think, oh, nobody can see it. But the pressures of life come and And listen, if it's negative stuff you're storing in your brain, every day you're storing negative stuff in your heart. And then when something squeezes you, it doesn't go your way. And that's why the scripture says, Christian... If you're going to have something come out of your mouth, it better be positive because we're supposed to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. We're supposed to be children of light, not children of darkness. I didn't say that. God did. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's take a look at the process. I don't think it's by chance. Negative mind was the first step, okay? But he wants you to start sharing that negative mind verbally, unfortunately. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's take a look at the text there. Galatians, Ephesians and uh, verse 17 through 29, 17 through 29, in fact, hey, go figure, the, the title says children of the light, you know, we're supposed to be that, what a concept, go figure, right, uh, Jesus is the light of the world, we're supposed to be his disciples, his followers, so we need to emulate that as well, Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 17 through 29, here's how we're supposed to live, how many of you guys want to be a children of the light, please raise your hand, thank you, all seven, no, there's more than that, praise God, <laughs> I feel encouraged, Right? Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 17 says this. So here's how you do it. And listen to Paul. He says, this is not an option. I tell you this. I want, I insist on it. This is not an option. You don't say, well, maybe someday. No, this, I insist on this. You want to be a children of light? You want to be a great Christian? You want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I insist on this. In fact, you must no longer 
No longer what? Live as the Gentiles, i.e. the non-Christian in this context, do in the futility of their what? Their minds, their thinking. Why? Because they're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Notice how that kind of sinful life started in the mind. Goes on. But you, Christian, however, you didn't come to know Christ that way. Are you kidding me? I mean, surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your what? Former way of life to what? Put off the old self. You know that thing we talked about last week? Kick it off your shoulder. Don't listen to that thing. Give it a funeral service. Put it off, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. The old you to be made new in the attitude of your what? Mind and to put on the new you, the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of what? One body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the what? So, in other words, no wonder Paul is so emphatic about this. You must do this. I insist on it because if you don't. Do this. Welcome to spiritual warfare. You're inviting. I didn't say that he did. Don't give the devil a foothold. All right. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but you must work. Do something useful with your own hands that he may what? Have something to share with those in need. And do not let any. How much is any? Oh, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Why? Because here's what we're supposed to do. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may what? Hurt, harm, destroy? No, benefit those who listen. Okay? So very quickly, according to our text, as a Christian, if we're going to be a children of light, a follower of Jesus Christ, faithful and true, we not only need to personally to put off that old self, that voice we saw last week, that's always enticing us to do the rotten stuff. You know, like put that off, flick it off, give it a you know, funeral service. But at the same time, he says, we need to put on that new attitude, that new self, the new you created in Christ Jesus that wants to obey God, that wants to follow God. You listen to that voice every day because it leads to what? It leads to righteousness and holiness now that's what we saw last week but then he says something we need to do corporately not just individually but now corporately one body the church is the context when we gather together as christians and apparently paul says listen you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor because we are all members of one body in other words paul says listen christian every day you need to not just pay attention to your mind every day and certainly when we gather as christians you better be careful of your mouth why? Because we're supposed to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. We're supposed to be children of light. We're supposed to offer something positive. Listen to this. This is a radical concept. Wouldn't it be great if somehow you could find a church that you could go to, and every single Sunday you actually leave spiritually better off than what you came? <laughs> if only we could find such a place. That's how we're supposed to be. That's what he's saying, man. You, when you come to the church, we're the church. Hello. Turn to somebody and say that. We're the church. Hello. Okay, <laughs> but that's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to come here better, and sometimes you're better off because you're convicted. Not just happy, chappy stuff, but you leave here spiritually stronger. You leave here edified. You, you leave, it's like, wow, what a, I'm, I was benefited today. Why? Well, one of the things he says, number one, that's why you need to work. 
In other words, that as Christians, we, we, we have this attitude, it's not about me, myself, and I. I want to, ha- I want to share something with you. I, I want to give something back, you know, like Jesus. I, w- I want to give something positive to you. So I want, not just with a word, but he says also with our words. So that when we speak, we encourage one another. We build each other up. I mean, has anybody noticed that the world out there just kind of wants to tear you down? And so wouldn't it be great to have some sort of a respite, some sort of a spiritual bubble, some place to energize, some sort of a retreat to come to at least once a week, come on, to feel better? Turn to somebody, uh, we're the church, hello. (laughs) That's what we're supposed to be, right? That's how it's supposed to be. Now, what's the problem? That's not always how it is, is it? Man, we are missing out. That's why Paul says, Christian, you need to be very careful about the words coming out of your mouth. Why? Because here's how it works. Positive words create positive results, which creates peace. Negative words create negative results, which creates destruction. What's that? Repetition increases remembrance. Positive words create positive results, which creates peace. Negative words create negative results, which creates destruction. And folks, it's not just the church, it's wherever you go. Okay, is the whole point. And if you, it's one thing in the church, and we try to mask it and whatever, and we leave here not benefited, we leave here feeling like we're destroyed, you might as well just went out in the world and got beat up. But it's a horrible witness outside these four walls. Okay? And it's one thing if you want to destroy yourself with a negative mind, because remember, where, where do these negative words come from? You see, you think, oh, it's just out of the blue. No, it's not. You just revealed what you've been thinking about. Because out of the abundance of the heart. Where did it get in your heart? How did it get in your heart? Because you kept thinking on it. And then something just squeezed you, bleh, and it came out like Bobby's chicken sponge, right? But it's one thing if you want to destroy yourself with a negative mouth. It's another thing to keep that negative mindset going with your mouth because, listen, have you noticed it doesn't ever stay with that person? Wouldn't it be cool if you had like some superhero gun? Somebody starts getting negative and you could zap them in love, of course. <laughs> and it just puts them in this catatonic state or some bubble thing, probably chicken juice again, right? It just hardens all over you like a crust. But, but they can't do it anymore, right? Or it shields you from it. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have one of those things? Well, if you do it God's way, you don't need one of those, okay? But this is what it does. It starts to spread. And now it not only destroys you, your negative mind, because you wouldn't shut off. You stored it in your heart. Blech, now it's barfing out your mouth. And it not only destroys you, it starts to destroy other people. Now, the Bible talks about different mouth sins, okay? I only have time to deal with one, okay? And it's called gossip, okay? Now, uh, hear he, 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 he this the first time because I don't want you to repeat it because that would be, go- no, isn't that what we say? Isn't that how we try to spiritualize it? Hey, this ain't gossip. I'm just saying this so you can pray for him. Gossip, right? No, hey, you better listen up the first time because I don't want to repeat it because that'd be, it's gossip, Right? I mean, this one's wild, okay? And let me break it down for you so we're all on the same page. Scripturally, gossip is this. Gossip is simply talking negative about a person behind their back to another person. About as simple as you can get it. That's really what it is. Mask it all you want, say you're going to... No. Gossip is simply talking negative about another person behind their back, okay? And the Scripture is very clear. This is one of the most sinful, destructive things you could do with your mouth. Not just in the church, but anywhere you go. And granted, different people have different ways to deal with gossips. Like this guy, watch this. One day there was this lady named Betty. Anybody named Betty here? 
because it's not you if you are. <laughs> it better not be. Anyway, one day there was this lady named Betty, right? And she was the town gossip. Man, she was a self-appointed supervisor for the town's morals. She kept sticking her nose into people's business all the time. You ever meet somebody like that? Right? Now, several of the local residents, they didn't appreciate her activities, but they feared her enough to maintain her silence because then she'll start on them, right? However, she made the mistake of accusing a local man named Ted one day, and she said this. She spread this word out there. She said he was an alcoholic, a horrible alcoholic. She spread it all over town. Why? Because she saw his pickup truck parked outside the town's only bar one afternoon. So Ted, being a man of few words, shared, you know, stared at her for a moment and, and then just walked away without even saying a word. And then later that evening, he parked his truck in front of her house and left it there all night. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, Ted is a genius. <laughs> no, don't do that. I'm kidding you. That's not how you're supposed to do it. Okay, I admit that's kind of creative and trying to deal with the gossip, but the Bible's got a better way. It's much more effective, right? It's called confront them in love. It's Matthew 18. Read it. Go home and read it. Matthew 18, the Bible says if you have a concern with another person, you need to go to that person. Not some other person, not behind their back, not resorting to trickery. You need to go to that person. Why? Because the moment you go to another person and talk to that other person about that other person, it's gossip. And it is one of the most destructive mouth diseases that can destroy all kinds of things. And again, not just the church. It's anywhere you go. Right? Let's take a look at what God has to say about that particular mouth sin. Proverbs eleven thirteen: a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person, what? Keeps a secret. Can I translate that? Keeps your mouth shut. Right? All right? Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up a conflict. A gossip, what separates close friends? How many friendships are lost because somebody just, eh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's true, it's been in the Bible for a long time. Proverbs 20, 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Now, there's a disclaimer there that excludes pastors. Because <laughs> I know you were going to think that, and I'm just going to be all alone for the no. <laughs> Yeah, it's just chicken meat, right? No, but anyone talks too much, right? Hey, have you ever noticed you, you keep on talking, your foot goes in there and you sin with, you just, yeah, that's what he's talking about. Proverbs 26, 20, I love this one. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a what? A quarrel dies down. Are you tired of it? Are you tired of that quarrel and the fighting and the bickering and the hurt and the harm? Then stop throwing logs on the fire with your mouth. It doesn't have fuel to burn. Right? Romans chapter 1, verse 29. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice and their gossip. What? I mean, that swamped in there with some sins like murder. It's because you're murdering with your mouth. It's serious stuff. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. Paul says, I am afraid that when I come to you, church, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as I want to be. In other words, I'd love to come and give you a hug and a high five, but I'm coming in with a hammer. I got to spank you now. I don't want to, but now I got to. Why? Because I fear that there is discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And finally, Proverbs says this. Hey, has anybody ever been bored on a Saturday afternoon? And you sat there and you go, hey, man, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do today? What am I going to do today? Anybody besides Dave? Dave, you? Okay, I know you're right there. I see you. Anyway, no, all right? Well, here's one thing you don't ever want to do. Don't ever wake up. and this thought goes through your head, get it out of there quick. Hey, let's figure out the things that God doesn't like and do them. <laughs> Don't do that. And this is what I love about this. You want to you get on God's, listen, hate list? Do this stuff. But, 
Okay, I'm being facetious. Don't do it. Okay, <laughs> There are six things the Lord, what? He doesn't just dislike. I'm not, hey, my, my word's his words. The Lord hates seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. You know, it's all about self. Me, myself, and I. God hates that. Right? A lying tongue. Oh, there's a mouth. Hands that shed innocent blood. You know, like Planned Parenthood. God hates that. And you wonder why there's going to be seven years of his wrath poured out on this planet? You're storing up his wrath. He sees every one of these children. A heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness, again your mouth, who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. As we just saw, that's exactly what gossip does. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of thinking, boredom or not, gossip is one kind of behavior you want to stay away from. Anybody come to that conclusion? Reading the scripture there? God doesn't just not like it. He doesn't appreciate it. No, he hates it. And I think it's pretty obvious because what's it do? It causes destruction with your mouth. It causes destruction wherever you go. And again, it's not just the church. It's wherever you go. It'll destroy families and marriages and friendships and companies. You name it. And yet we're supposed to be peacemakers. And the only thing that comes out of our mouth builds us up. And again, I need to say this because I'm not talking some of those folks out there that go to the other end of the spectrum. It's like, how to be a better you. I'm not talking that. Because did you know that sometimes to benefit somebody in love, you confront them on sin and say, hey, man, I love you too much to not say nothing. I'm not telling anybody about this. This is between you and me. Matthew 18. I don't want to encourage you to follow Jesus Christ. That's good. That's benefiting. So it doesn't mean you can't ever say it. You can't challenge. But you do it with the right heart. And you don't tell other people or it's gossip. Okay? But that's something, folks, that is very uh, destructive. Okay? Now, here's the irony. This, I don't know if you've seen this one. We know this. I mean, come on. Right? We know gossip's wrong. But here, I'm going to expose another little game. Right? But we do the game show voice thing. Is my analogy. Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> Here's what we do. We know we shouldn't do this, but we still do it. And we, we, we act like God doesn't see. We act like God doesn't see. And it is absolutely as futile as the cone of silence. Now, see, you young whippersnappers have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, so I'm here for you because you, you can't miss out on this great analogy. At least I think it's great. And so let's get reacquainted. What in the world is this cone of silence that, uh, uh, that Pastor Billy's talking about? Well, let's take a look. Get reacquainted once again with the incredible show, Get Smart, right? And the invention called the cone of silence. Let's, let's see if we can pull this off here. Didn't you just say Class A security? I did. Well, then shouldn't we... Do you want me to leave the room? That won't be necessary, Hodgkins. We can talk under the cone of silence. The cone of silence? Well, this is a magenta alert, isn't it? The cone of silence. I am deeply concerned about the conference room. What? I'm concerned about the conference room. How's that? He's concerned about the conference room. <laughs> oh. I want it thoroughly inspected for hidden devices, microphones, bombs. What? Check for microphones and bombs. Oh. 
<laughs> well, do you really think that's necessary, Chief? I mean, isn't that an anti-infiltration tactic? What? He wonders if that's an anti-infiltration tactic. Oh. Why am I talking to you? Will you get this thing off of me? <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, that is the code of silence. Okay? Now, I had to share that with you because, again, you young whippersnappers out here. Now, here's my analogy, okay? Notice with the cone of silence, number one, it was dumb, right? Okay? Number two, it was detrimental. Notice how those guys couldn't even understand each other, right? And they were missing things in the, in the transmission there. And here's what's so goofy. The guy they were trying to hide this from, he was watching the whole time, right? He heard every single word. He was repeating it. Listen, we do the same thing with God. We act like there's a cone of silence, I'm amazed at this over years of ministry. It's not any church I've ever been a part of, right? You always know when somebody's gossiping, right? I mean, it's, it's, I call it the pastor's bubble, right? I'm walking around, right? And all of a sudden, I come around, I come around the corner, and there's two people. And as soon as they see me, it's like, oh, hey, how's the weather, Bob? It's like, dude, I graduated third grade. I'm not dumb. I know what you're doing. It's like, what? But can I translate that for you? They're in the hallway with a cone of silence. <laughs> you know what you're doing, right? It's, it's, it's the same thing we do with God. We, we, we walk around the corner. We're down the hallway. We're in that Sunday school room that nobody can see us. Turn to somebody and say, cone of silence, dumb, dumb. Okay, don't do it, dumb, dumb. Okay, it's dumb, it's crazy. Because folks, you can't, you might hide it from me. But you can't hide it from God. He's the guy outside there going, the whole time. See, I didn't say that. He did. It's like, how many times have we got to be reminded of this? Psalm 139, verse 1, 2, 4, 7, and 8. Hike. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me, God. You know when I sit and when I rise. You, pers you even know my thoughts. And he still loves us. From afar, right? Before a word is on my tongue, you what? You know it completely, God. There is no cone of silence. And that's his logical conclusion. Well, then where can I go? From your spirit, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there too. Oh, no, the cone of silence doesn't work. Yeah, God sees the whole thing. God hears it all. So as Paul says, I insist on this. If you ain't got nothing good to say, shut your mouth. Because God's watching the whole time. He hears all. One guy puts it this way. This is wild. He says, words will reveal what is in your heart. And when we share them, there is, listen, no secret room discussion. There's no private whispering hallway rendezvous. There's no closed door conversation apart from God. There's no phone conversation or text message he's not aware of because, listen, he sees it all and he hears it all. Listen to this. This is wild. He says, in fact, scientists say that our voices set in motion sound waves, and those sound waves go on an endless journey through space. Had we instruments delicate enough to uh, pick it up, uh, we could pick up every word, listen, uttered by every human being that has ever lived on the face of the earth since mankind was created because their words, the sound waves of those words are still floating out in the universe. Isn't that wild? And he says this, he says, now we can't recover those words. We don't have the technology. But God can. God can. And it's bad enough, folks, once again, that God sees it and hears it all, and there is no such thing as a cone of silence. Oh, you can put it on your head, but you're going to look about as goofy as that. 
But what's the point? It's not just for us. Even as the church, we're supposed to be children of light. We're supposed to have something positive to share. What happens is it starts to destroy your witness to the lost. Because they're not dumb. They smell gossip a mile away as well. And they even know as a non-Christian, that's not how Christians should be. One guy said this. He said, one Sunday afternoon, this restaurant manager designated two rooms as a non-smoking section to accommodate churchgoers who were coming in for a bite to eat after the morning services, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And the busboy there said he was glad to see a large number of non-smoking Christians, but then he added, listen to this. He says, they may not smoke, but you ought to hear them gossip. And then he said, listen, hey boss, if we had a non-gossip section, nobody would be there. Turn to somebody and say, ouch. Conviction with the mouth. We're supposed to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. A negative mind, if you don't shut it off, eventually comes out of the mouth. And it's one thing if you want to stare at yourself in the mirror and destroy yourself with your mouth, which I don't recommend. But it spreads to other people, destroys other Christians, destroys the Christian witness. Let's not do that. Let's be those children of light. Let's be who we're supposed to be, peacemakers for Jesus. Amen? But that's not real quick. It leads to the third way that he gets us to have this misplaced behavior. And this is the end result. This is where I really think he wants us ultimately, and that's the negative motive, right? I'm just going to have it my way. My, come on, right? And this is, I don't know if you've noticed this pattern, but first we get tricked into having this negative mind. Then eventually you store that into your heart. Bleh, comes out, you got a negative mouth. And it goes all over the place, right? But just in case you still don't get your way, because that's ultimately what the root cause is, right? You didn't get your way. So you, bleh, bleh, bleh. You get a negative motive, and you get really slick about it, right? And you stir up things behind the scenes with your mouth with this negative motive, and and you mask it in such a way that it's really for the benefit of everyone when it has nothing to do with that. Have have you noticed that? I mean, we come out with statements like this, and we say, well, I have this idea that I think is great for, here's where we mask it, the company. No, I have this idea that if we would do it this way that I think is a good way, it will help out the family. It's good for the family or the church. Are you, are you kidding me? Cone of silence, dumb, dumb, cone of silence. What's the word of God say? God not only has the ability to hear and see it all, what's it says? The word of God is sharp. It even can decipher the thoughts, the intents, the motives of the heart. God even knows our motives. But we mask it in such a way that it's so honorable. It's so good for everybody. And if you just do it my way, it's the best thing. No. It's a negative motive. In fact, God is so cool. He cuts to the chase on this. And he tells you, are you done yet? Are you done? I see through this whole baloney. You want to know why there's so much fighting? You want to know why there's so much quarrel? And again, not just in a church, but a family, a home, a marriage, a relationship, neighborhood. You, You want to know why? Anybody want to know why? All right, let's just close in prayer. No, I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, read the Bible. This I love this. God cuts to the chase. Here's the reason why. James four one through three. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Can I translate that? Can I flip it around to the positive? Right? Wouldn't you like to get rid of all your fights and quarrels among you? Marriage, family, house, home, neighborhood, church, company, business. You name it. Wouldn't you like to get rid of it? Then don't do this. Because here's where it's coming from. Don't they come from the desires that what? battle within you you didn't get your way you want something but you don't get it 
So what you do is you keep a positive attitude. You submit to God's sovereignty. Trust that he works all things together for good. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. Here's where the fighting comes in. So you kill. You covet. But you, because you can't have what you want. So what do you do? Now you start uh, moving around. You quarrel. You fight. Uh, and, and, oh, by the way, you don't have. See, you sound so spiritual with your request. But you don't have because you don't ask God. And even when you ask God, you don't receive because what? You ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're masking it as something positive for everyone. If you just do it this way, it has nothing to do with that. It's all about you. You're just trying to spiritualize your self-centeredness. But this is actually a passage of great freedom. It tells us why there's so much squabbling, why there's so much fighting and picking and poking in, 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 in communities and churches and businesses and families and marriages. It's because somebody somewhere didn't get what they wanted. Right? And instead of submitting to God and enjoying his peace, trusting him, well, that just means God's got a better way. And I'll wait for him. We go to town. We start fighting and quarreling. I'll do this, and if I say that, and then, then I'll get him to do this, and if I get him to think this way, and that way. That's how it happens. Now, again, it's one thing if you want to do that and stare at yourself in the mirror, which, again, I don't recommend. But this negative motive, man, will destroy anything it touches. Three examples will close. The first way is with a child. And these are all true stories. I've witnessed these with my own eyes in years and years of ministry. I know of a child who is now grown up, but for whatever reason, be they the middle child, be they a little bit rambunctious, you know, whatever. I mean, can I give you a little clue? Boys are rambunctious. I got one. <laughs> okay? It's okay. They're boys. But I know this child, a little rambunctious, whatever, but they became the scapegoat for all their family's problems. I mean, whatever it was, it was their fault. Do you know any families like that? Were you ever treated like that? I watched the whole thing start with a negative mind. Uh, the, the parent. The parent seemed to focus only on the negative qualities of the child. Now, as we saw, there's always positive. There's always positive. There's always a hallelujah somewhere. But no, you only focus on the negative. And guess what? It blinds you from the positive. That's all you can see is now the negative. And then it began to escalate into a negative mouth with statements I heard with my own ears. This person said, I hate you. I wish you weren't my child. I wish you weren't even born. And I watched this gifted child turn into everything that parent had projected onto them. You want bad? I'll give you bad. And to this day, I still see a child desperately fighting to hear from their parents what Christian parents are supposed to be saying with their mouth, I love you, and I'm glad you're my child, and I'm so proud of you. If you're here today, and that's happened to you, aren't those the words you dream of from the mom and the dad? And if they would just say it, how it would set you free. Christians, every Sunday, that's what we should do for each other. How we could set each other free. The second way I've seen it is happen is with a covenant or a marriage. True story. Three in a row, man. I was pastoring in Northern California. Three scenarios, I mean, back to back. All about selfishness, self-centeredness, man. And it was just horrid. It was just like, you, what's going on here, man? 
Is this spiritual warfare? But here's the scenarios. Okay, in just a few short months, I was presented with these three marital scenarios. One was a wife who refused to be reconciled to her husband because she needed to love herself first. Unhappy in her marriage, she decided to commit adultery. Why? To feel good about her life. Again. Now, the husband found out, Christian guy, he was willing to work with her and forgive her through the problems, but she refused and she was convinced that her sin, kid you not, was okay because she had to protect her self-love and self-esteem at all costs. And so she had to continue with this sin. Meanwhile, the children suffer. The second marriage, right off the heels of that one, I thought, wow, that's a whopper. I'm not making this up either. Another husband came to me and he left his wife. I said, what are you doing? Because he's unhappy. Kid you not. He noticed his wife began to develop some wrinkles. Hey, it had to have been the Spirit of God because I wanted to take a mirror out and go, dude. <laughs> and listen, so, so he chose to go out and find a younger woman because he was convinced that this would make his life meaningful once again. I kid you not, I went to through the whole thing. And because he was like, he was trying to make it sound so honorable. Like, I have to do this. I mean, because if this choice helps my personal happiness, then for the sake of his self-love and well-being, he has to commit this sin and leave his What? When self is on the throne, it destroys. One last one, I kid you not. Right after that one, here comes this another marriage. It was seriously on the rocks at this time. You know why? Because they were getting ready to go on vacation. Here's the quandary. The wife wanted to go to Hawaii. The husband said, no, he wanted to go somewhere else. So I kid you not, the solution was she was seriously contemplating divorce because she wasn't getting her way. <laughs> and this, of course, made her not feel good about her life. Therefore, in order to feel good about her self-esteem and fulfilling life, the, the only solution was she really probably needed to get a divorce. What? The last one real quick is with a company, right? Self gets on the throne, man. Negative mind, negative mouth. It destroys anything it goes around. My brother, he told me at the time he worked with a guy who was a constant complainer, right? Turn to somebody and say this, complainers are drainers. <laughs> Have you noticed that, man? It's like some sort of spiritual vampire. <laughs> Sucks the life right out of you, right? You ever worked next to one of those folks? Whoa, Right? And so here my brother was, he was at this workplace and he was a new guy and he loved this job. This job was awesome. I mean, he was very appreciative of the company, of how they, he was a brand new guy out of tech school and somebody gave him a chance. There was opportunities for advancement. I mean, it was good. Life was awesome. And then came the guy, Mr. Complainer. And the whole world began to change. Every day he says, man, it was just this. Why did they do this? How come they did that? You hear that decision? This company, how come I didn't get this? How come they didn't get My brother said, all of a sudden, I mean, first he resisted, but he said it was so stinking subtle. He said, the next thing you know, guess what he started to do? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and he said he didn't even notice he was doing it until some people from another department said, hey, Jim, what are you doing? What happened, man, with you? You're whining completely. And he just, whoa. And he realized, wait a second, what happened? And he traced it back. He's this guy. It was like a deadly infection. Just, bleh. why? Because here's how it works. One, that person had a negative mind, 
You store it into your heart, negative about anything, a company, a, a family, a home, anything. You store it in your heart, guess what? It's going to come out of your mouth. Right? But see, it doesn't stay there because that negative mouth goes into another person's brain who then they keep eating that up, store it in their heart. Guess what? It comes out of their mouth. And then that goes into another. You see what? Do you see the trail of destruction? My brother actually said, he says, after he got free from that and got positive again, oh, by the way, the job didn't change. His attitude did. And he got back to Eula, and yeah, this is a great job. God has blessed me. This is awesome. <laughs> Raid or something, I don't know. In love, of course, in love. But he had to put those protective barriers up. No, I'm not going there with my mind. Because there's good here. All right? But he said he did the investigative work. You know why that guy was a complainer? Because he listened to somebody else complain. Makes you wonder who the first complainer was. It's this guy right over here. No. <laughs> we love you. I just, it's just a blind point over there. It's not Don. Don, it's not you. It's not you. Just wondering. All right. This is why in all seriousness, this is how powerful this really is. A Christian employer, I kid you not, true story, said this. He said, if I find any negative person in my company... I will immediately fire them on the spot, no questions asked. Why? He said, I learned the hard way how one negative mouth left unchecked will bring down a whole company. He said, I'll never make that mistake again. Why? Because somewhere along the line, somebody got tricked. Oh, God's good. There's always good. He works all things together for good. He's given us his joy. He's given us his peace. Life is awesome. Somewhere along the line, somebody got you tricked into starting off with that negative mind. And then you wouldn't shut that negative mind off. You start to store it in your heart. Circumstances squeeze it right out of you. Blech, and here comes that negative mouth. You still didn't get your way. So you got creative to make it sound really good. And it became this negative motive. And it started causing fights and quarrels and destruction wherever you go. Listen, Christian, when we're supposed to be peacemakers, causing peace wherever we go. And if we get back on that, then I'd say we probably have a much better witness. How about you? Maybe people start getting saved in the restaurant. Again. Right? So here's the point as we, we, we close. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do if you're here today and you're one of those people, even a Christian, you got tricked and seduced into having this misplaced behavior. You're causing destruction wherever you go instead of peace wherever you go. Well, first of all, it's pretty simple. First of all, you need to repent. You need to repent, ask for God's forgiveness, and if you've hurt other people with your mouth, you need to go to that person and you need to ask for forgiveness, number one. Number two, you need to shut it off. And what I mean is you need to shut off the devil's lies. Don't let him rent space in your head, another preacher said. Don't give him the satisfaction. Get it out of your brain. Look around for the positive. Shut the lies off of the evil one who gets you to think that life's all about you, me, myself, and I, and you have to listen to the world's ways and please yourself as many different ways, and if you get your way, then all these ways are gonna lead to happiness. It's not. It's a lie. Shut it off. Run back to Jesus. Surrender to him again. And enjoy that peace and that intimacy that you had when you first got saved all over again because he loves you. And he's got your back like this girl did. We'll close in prayer after this.
What's the song we sang? Oh, how he loves us. So much so that even as his child, if he got tricked into acting like the devil's child, listening to the lies of this world, God not only hasn't given up on you, but he wants to take you back. And when you take that first step, he's got your back. And he'll deliver you from so much. If he would just take that first step and run to him, run to Jesus, and be set free. Get rid of that negative mind to lose that mouth and motive. Run to Jesus today and be set free. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. 
You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out 
and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.